Diary, welcome back to the Indigo Diaries, and welcome back to Series One: The World Through Your Eyes, with your host, me, Tasha Hicklin. The Indigo Diaries is a podcast for those who want to learn about ADHD through others' experiences. So, thanks to everyone for coming in and listening. And if this is your first time, then welcome. And if you're returning, then welcome back. And welcome back to Series One again. And I'm so excited this year that I really started back on Series One, and I can't wait to get our next guest. Just a reminder that you'll be getting a lot more guests in this series. So I'm just going to go straight to the point and introduce our next guest. So I met this guest a while back and she reached out to me and I am so happy to connect with her again later on in the year. And I always remember the first time I met her earlier this year, she was so much energy and passion when it came to ADHD in the community. And I was so excited uh, to have her reach back out this year to record and and that speaks with her new venture, which she started this year, and I'm sure she'll get to that in this episode. So, Simran, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and I am a huge fan of your podcast. When I got asked to record an episode, I was like, no way. Like, this is not happening, because I've been listening to your podcast after my diagnosis, and I was like, I was freaking out. So, thank you. I'm so excited. Thanks, Simran. And I, and I always say this. I didn't pay her to say that. <laughs> so let me tell you a bit about Simran before she gets in. So Simran Duo is a university student working to empower the neurodiverse people of the world. Being undiagnosed with ADHD and specific learning disorder until almost 20 years old, Simran had to fight for her education at every opportunity. Now she has launched her own organization, The Abstract Genius which raises awareness and helps empower neurodiverse people by creating a community, as well as offer many programs to help unlock their potential. She has been on a journey to make the difference of the lives of her fellow neurodiverse people. She is writing books, starting movements, speaking and educating people on what it means to be different. And I mean, wow, that just says it all. What an introduction. And if you want the full bio, please see the description below as always. So I'm really excited to get started after that amazing bio. So Simran, why don't you tell me, I'm sure you know where you want to start. So tell me where you want to start today. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot because actually I, like you said, we met a couple months ago Yeah. and it took me almost six months to actually get to this day to recording, <laughs> which is funny because I kept putting it off because I'm like, I don't feel ready. I don't know where I want to start. And I want to make sure that I know everything I want to cover because 20 years of being undiagnosed is a lot of story to cover. So I'll start from the beginning. I'll start from my childhood and Mm -hmm. and how I grew up and going to school. So I was undiagnosed until I was, I was 19 years old. I was one month away from being 20. So pretty much 20 years old, which is why I say 20. Um, and I always had a hard time in school. I was always struggling and I always felt different. I pretty much just barely made it through high school. I Mm. wasn't going to graduate. Actually, I had to quit my first job 
that I ever got. Uh, my parents called me and I was crying and I was like, no, no, no. And they were like, Simran, like, you're not going to graduate. You got to quit your job. You got to focus on school. So, you know, I went from that to what I'm doing now. So it's just, it's been such a crazy jump and it's been the most craziest experience ever. And I never thought it would turn out the way it did because when I was in school, I felt like such a dumb kid. I just always felt like a loser. I never mm-hmm. thought that I would make it out. And I always, I, I was so passionate about education. I always wanted to just go and like go to university and just get more and more educated. And being that was my dream since I was a kid, it was really tough when I felt like I couldn't get there. Um, in school, in elementary school, it's funny because I look back now and there's so many things that happened during that time that it just makes so much sense. And I, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised nobody caught this, this entire time. And I was thinking after I got diagnosed, like, why did it take me so long? Or why did it take other people so long? Why yeah. didn't nobody notice? Like, whose fault is it? Or is it anybody's mm-hmm. fault? And I was wondering all these things. And I was just remembering times like when I was in elementary school in grade five, I literally remember because these were very intense memories in my head. I, I literally remember the teacher, the classroom. And I remember I would go up to my teacher and I would take like my work and I would get her to check it over. And this was for writing. I would show it to her and she would look at it and she would just be like, whoa, like there's a lot of words missing here or there's things reversed or your spelling is really bad. And she's like, I want you to read this out loud to me. I want you to read it and I want you to just go over it. Let's edit it together. And I would start reading and she would just look at me with this weird look. And I was like, what is it? And she's like, well, Simran, you're, you're not reading what you wrote. You're reading what you think you wrote. And I never, Uh, (laughs) right. And I never understood. And I was like, what do you mean? That's what I wrote. And she's like, no. And she would read what I wrote. And I was like, what? Like, no, like that's crazy. And I realized more and more that I really struggled with my writing and it became really clear to my parents and writing is so important in school. It's in every subject, like other than math, it's in every subject, every subject. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be tough because writing was always hard. Reading was hard for me because Mm. I, I could always read fast and I could always read what was written. So no one else realized that it was hard for me, but like, I just couldn't understand what was written or I would have to keep rereading things. And it was really, really hard because I just felt like I was struggling and no one saw that I was struggling Mm. you know because it was like invisible because it was like well you can read so you're just not trying or you're just not you know doing it properly or you're not focusing Mm, you're not taking it one thing I remember my teacher saying is you're just not taking it seriously type of thing wow see that's I mean yeah, it, that's the problem, isn't it? It's invisible to the visible eye. It's invisible. Yeah. How did that kind of, that invisible and like people not being able to see that you're struggling, how did that mm-hmm. impact you as a child? 
it was tough because mm. as a kid, I mean, there was other things going on in my life. Like I was bullied a lot and stuff like that. So there was always things like that going on. But then on top of that, I feel like that was all external. That was coming from other people. Yeah. Like, you know, through elementary school, high school, I got bullied really bad and stuff like that. Mm. But the learning, like the school parts and the marks and the failure that was, I internalized that a lot. So that was really difficult for me because I just, I just didn't understand why I was struggling so much. And it was hard for me because anytime I tried to explain to people like, no, I'm really trying. Yeah. You've got to believe me to them. It was like, but you're not trying hard enough clearly because otherwise you wouldn't be struggling. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to try harder. You're studying for not enough time or mm. things like that. So that was really tough growing up because um I really wanted to just go to university and I didn't think that was going to happen so that it was it was tough growing up like that and I am the oldest in my like immediate family too and I have a bunch of cousins who are younger than me and a younger brother I love them very much and they're all super super smart kids all of them and I'm older than them by a lot of years Mm. so it was always tough because even though I was the oldest and I felt like I had to be a role model, I just felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to be the loser of the family one day because I'm never going to make it out. Yeah. So that, that was tough. I internalized that a lot. That sounds really tough. Like the fact that like you've got all these external things, but then you're internalizing it all. And that's, I have to say it's the worst bit, isn't it? In the internalization of what's going around and that, how do you think, cause you said that, that, you know, you're thinking kind of, this is not enough. You need to do more. Would you say that that's kind of had an after effect as you've got older? I think, I think it definitely has. Um, you know, I definitely started overcompensating mm-hmm. for that in other areas of my life, which is not necessarily a bad thing anymore. Uh, because I, I love to work and I love to volunteer and I love to do projects and stuff because I didn't have any way of showing my intelligence other than working. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, show that A or that award for that class. I couldn't do that. I didn't have any of that. So I would always have to show people that I was capable through working and volunteering and getting all these job offers at a young age that other kids my age weren't getting because they mm. were more focused on school. So I've had lots of jobs and volunteering opportunities. So it, it actually led me down a pretty good path. I can't complain because my CV is pretty long now. So it's awesome. <laughs> so your CV is pretty long. I like that. So that's CV's really eight pages right now. Eight pages. <laughs> yeah. How old are you? How old uh, are you? I'm 21. Eight pages. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, that's incredible. I love that you kind Thank of. You the you found another way you found another way to get it out and to be able to Mm -hmm. show your intelligence I think that's incredible thank you yeah and um the other thing is you know like in school I feel like this is this is something that's really molded my mission now in life is I there's just such a big gap in the education system with how learners are being treated and Mm -hmm. especially neurodiverse learners and how teachers are teaching and I know that you know being a teacher is a hard job and it's difficult and it's a noble profession but I feel like there's just a gap in the way that teachers are trained for working with kids who learn differently because I bet there was more kids like me 
and I don't know where they are right now and how they're doing and it makes me sad because I feel like there's a lot of kids whose potentials weren't realized I was lucky because even, even though I had a hard time in school I managed to get out I managed to you know like as you'll learn through the rest of my story today like I managed to get out and do things and be able to pursue education but I feel like for kids who who aren't able to do that it's it's sad because the statistics show that actually we are one of the minorities that are in percentage wise out of you know most likely to drop out most likely to end up in jail incarcerated most likely to be on the streets be homeless out of any minority and that just breaks my heart yeah, and it says that there's like out of, out of the percentage of people that are expected that, that they've like suspected that have ADHD in the world, which is like almost like 7% of the world that mm-hmm. they have ADHD, only under one third of those people have been diagnosed. And that, yeah. I mean, that's just crazy to know that there's all those people that aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I, I always knew that there was something different about me. And I just Mm. always felt like I, I was like, this can't be it. Like, this can't be my fault. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like, this just is, it's just weird. It's like, it's almost like I was in an invisible cage and I couldn't see it and no one else could see it. But every time I try to get out, I would just get hurt every single time I'd get hurt and I'd get bruised up and I would fall. And then I would just sit there and be like, okay, well, there's nothing stopping me. So it must just be me. And then I try again and I try again and I keep getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was really difficult because I felt like I had an identity crisis my entire life because I just, there was like something missing. I, I felt like there was something that I didn't know about who I was. And yeah. when I finally got diagnosed and I finally figured that out, it was the best day of my life. Like actually, it was wow. awesome. Tell us about like, I love that. I like that analogy. I mean, I don't like that analogy because that, that's a horror, you know, it's not a very nice thing to feel like. I get like, what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about kind of that process to getting diagnosed. So what, what came mm-hmm. to getting your diagnosis? Well, 20 years in the making, it was, it's kind of a funny story. It all happened because of a car accident, actually. which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, this was, I was in my second year of university. And I was in the fall semester, it was October. And I had been studying for this exam. And I had studied so hard. And I was like, okay, like, I need to do better in school. I was really scared, because I was very, very close to being on academic probation. My GPA was so low. Um, my GPA from both years was 1.9. Okay. And my GPA from that semester was one point, I think seven or something like that. So I was like, okay, like, this is it. Like, Mm -hmm. if I don't do better, I will be put on probation. And then once you're on probation, if you don't get your marks up within, I think a couple months, you're kicked, you're out. So I was very stressed out at that time. And it was really, really scary. And I just remember, I was like, okay, I can do it. Like I got all my courage together and I was trying to be really positive. And I started studying for the exam and I got the exam back (laughs) and uh, I got 31%. 
I'll never forget. I got 31%. I mean, that wasn't new to me, mm-hmm. but that was, that just broke my heart because I was like, I really thought that I had done better. I really thought yeah. that I had changed things the way I do studying and things like that. So when I actually started realizing in that semester, that was kind of my breaking point, I think, where I started giving up because I was like, I'm in my second year. I'm just like a GPA point away from getting kicked out of school. And I just tried so hard, like beyond my limits. And I still couldn't do it like this. I can't, I can't keep doing this. And I remember I just gave up. I stopped studying. I stopped doing my assignments and I would just come home from school and I just lay in my bed or I'd lay on the couch and put on Netflix and my parents would come in and they'd just be like, what are you doing? Like, you're not studying. Like, you don't you have exams or something to do? And I would be like, I just was like, yeah, you know, and they were like really worried because they were like, what, like, why aren't you studying? Like, what's going yeah. on? And crazy thing is in that same semester, I was taking a psych class, abnormal psych. And when I went to my lecture one day, after failing an exam for I think it was like a philosophy class or something I went to class and the prof was talking about ADHD that day oh okay (laughs) yeah and I was like okay cool and I you know took out my notes and I was okay this is really interesting and she kept talking and I just like I was just kind of looking around the class and I'm like okay like this is weird I feel like (laughs) this lecture is for me like I feel like she's talking about me yeah and I've never been so interested in my life before like I just sat there and I was like oh my god and I walked out of that class and I was like oh my god like I think that I have ADHD and I was just like freaking out I was excited because I was like if this is it if this is finally the answer then like maybe there's still hope for me so i I started researching and I started just like doing a lot of info and taking a lot of info on ADHD. And I talked to my parents and my parents are so supportive, like they're super supportive. So even though they didn't know much about it and they didn't think that I had it either, but they were still like, we'll still get you tested. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And the tests are expensive though. So they're like, do you really think you have it? Like, are you sure that you think that you have it? And I'm like, I think so. And I was nervous because I'm like, well, what if I don't? I just wasted like a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. So I remember I just I just kept waiting. And my dad was like, "Okay, why don't you just do some more research and see how you feel in a little bit and just look at some psychologists and stuff. So I waited a couple months and I was doing more research and I was like, "Okay, like, I think I have it, but I'm not sure. And I remember I went to go see my counselor that I you know, had been seeing since high school. And I told her about this and she's amazing as well. Like, and this isn't to say that she isn't, but even she didn't think that I had it. Okay. And she was like, I think it's just anxiety. And I'm like, I, I really don't think that it's just anxiety. Like mm-hmm. I know my anxiety and nobody, it was, it was kind of disheartening because my parents are so supportive, but it was hard because no one really thought that I had it. So no one was jumping up and down for the assessment, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, should I do it? Should I not? And a little bit later, I got into this really bad car accident. I got a really bad concussion. 
And I hadn't done my assessment up to this point. And I had to go to my school to meet with an accessibility advisor uh, because I had to drop out of school for like two months because of my concussion and I oh needed to goodness. talk to someone at the school. Yeah. So that this is when it all kind of came together because I met uh, someone there um, and he was my accessibility advisor. And at that point, we were just talking about the accident and mm-hmm. we were just talking about like, oh, like how much time am I going to need extension for these assignments and things like that. And he was just a great person. So we just started talking and I was joking around about how I struggle in school. And he was like, oh, tell me more. And I kept telling him more. And he just was like looking at me and listening. And he's like, okay, well, do you also feel like this and like this and like this? And he kept asking me these questions. I'm like, yes. And he looks at me and he just like, he puts his hands together and he leans straight in and he's like, Simran, I think that you have dyslexia. And I was like, wait, hold on. And I was like, wait, are, wait. And I was, I was like, what? I was like, are you sure? And then he was like, I'm a school psychologist. I did psychoed assessments for a living. And he's like, I think so. And I was so excited that somebody finally yeah. saw what I'd been trying to tell people my whole life. And he actually he actually listened and he didn't say, oh, no, 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 it's just anxiety. Oh, no, 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 it's just Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. He really listened and he was like, yeah, like, I actually think that it's not your fault and you're struggling with something and I think you should go get tested. And then I went home, told my parents and they were like, well, okay then. Like, okay. I think it's worth it now to get tested. And I got tested and yeah. And I have, I have ADHD and I have specific learning disorder in reading, writing, and math, three for one special. <laughs> I love that three for one. <laughs> yeah. So the dyslexia aspect is probably the biggest one because I struggle mm. a lot with my reading and writing. So everything, just like ever since that day, everything just started to make sense. Yeah. Everything just came together, all these memories and everything. And I was like, oh my God, I was happy but then there was a part of me that was like, why did it take so long? You know, like I went through so much and why did no one notice and why, like who, and I was questioning like, okay, can I really blame anyone like in the education system? Is it really any teacher's fault? Are they even trained on this? Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided to start uh, my organization called the Abstract Genius and I am trying to help um, neurodiverse individuals feel empowered and feel like they can do something with their lives and that they don't have to be, you know, restricted to what the education system tells them they're worth. Because honestly, the education system is not the greatest motivator for us. No, it's not at all. It's at not all. made for us. So I just was like, okay, I want to focus on that. And I also want to focus on teachers and helping them learn how they can support students better because I think that there are so many good teachers that would want to learn how so yeah that's when I started my journey and it's been a little over a year since my diagnosis and now I just I'm going crazy with all these ideas and all these projects and doing all these things and it's just it's been like the best year and a half of my entire life 
Wow. I mean, I was in a trance when you were telling me about your diagnosis story. I, like, I wanted to laugh, cry, smile, <laughs> shout up because it's always that thing of some, when people find out that like they hear the symptoms or they hear the challenges and they hear the thing, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I know I have it. And I love that even though people didn't, you know, it took, it took a horrible accident and then meeting that guy to be able to say, you know, someone to finally listen but you kept that hope. And I love that you said that, you know, I still kept hopeful and I still kept that hope that, that you knew, like you knew. I knew it. I needed that. I just knew. Yeah. Mm. I just needed someone to be like, yeah, no, I believe you. Like, yeah, I believe you. It was, it was amazing. And there's, there's been a lot of, I think, mentors in my life that helped me get to this point, even though I struggled a lot in, high school and elementary school and I mean university as well Mm. I just want to give a huge shout out to my professors because if they hear this okay they're just the most amazing educators ever on this planet (laughs) earth ever like they're just they're so amazing because they treated me with the same respect before my diagnosis and after wow they knew what my marks were they saw my d's d's literally i was embarrassed and they never treated me like less than they never made me feel like i wasn't worthy of being in their class or that i couldn't come out of this and graduate with the degree so they're just amazing and i feel like if i didn't have them as my profs i don't think i would have been able to carry on because mm-hmm. they just made learning fun again i remember when i was a kid i I was just like, I just love to learn things. Yeah. I just absolutely just was fascinated by science. I love science. I would watch like, um, just like shows before <laughs> school that were just dedicated to like snakes. How did they live? The mm. human body, the brain, like, and history. I loved history. So I've always been a huge lover of learning. And I think school just killed that for me. Yeah. Yeah. You we- know, yeah we're big learners we're big learners and we want to learn we're just not given the opportunity to yeah I remember when I was a kid I wanted to be a scientist and like for real like not just like you know how kids say I was really like I would watch all these shows on Nat Geo and History Channel and I would just (laughs) I was like oh my god like I want to do that and I loved the science fair growing up and I did these amazing cool projects and my mom would help me and actually made it to like the the regional science fair which I think was the only accomplishment in my young educational life that I ever got and it was for my science fair project and it was I just it was sad because up until now it's been reignited but like I was I love learning so much school killed it for me I remember Mm. when I got to high school science oh my gosh uh it just like the passion left my soul for science. I just didn't care anymore because it wasn't about answering the questions and learning about things and discovering things. It was just about, can you memorize these things? If you can't, sorry, you're not smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just remember growing up, like I would go, like I loved museums and my dad would always take me to different museums. And he took me to this exhibit at Science World and it was a human body exhibit. And I saw brain like an actual brain wow and I still remember like walking through that exhibit with my dad and just like being like oh my gosh like I just I just love those like moments of like learning and knowledge 
And I think that that's just important to put back into schools for kids because kids are curious by nature. They love to learn. Like that's what they're about. But when teachers take away the passion to learn because they're not passionate to teach, it just, it just sucks it out of the child's soul. And that just makes me sad. So I'm trying to just like have an impact on the school system as well. Like I'm trying to talk to people who are in uh, my school district and like the Mm. superintendent, nobody's answered my emails, but I will keep trying. It's all good. And hopefully one day somebody will give me a chance to like, you know, yeah, nice. tell them something and show them something new because there are amazing teachers out there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I second that. And we're going to give a shout out to, to your ones, your professors. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I love that you're still keeping that hope. You know, you're still, you're still emailing and you might, you know, and, and it does and you might not get them back, but you're still trying. And that's the, that's the main thing. So we're going to take a break because I'm getting very hot. And then we're going to come back and we're going to dive in to kind of what happened after that diagnosis and the abstract genius. I want to know all about it and kind of what's going and what's coming next with Simran. So join us after the break and we're out. If you would like any more information on Indigo Hub or our Indigo support group, then please check out our website below or our link to our social media platforms or email at indigohub.adhd at gmail.com. If you would like to offer any comments, feedback, get support, or if you're interested in the world hearing your story, then please reach out through any of our avenues. As said before, have a positive week. Check in again later. And we're out. Shh, the Indigo Diary. And welcome back. And as always in the, in the, uh, <laughs> it's like a tradition. We always get started talking and it's like, quick, 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 let's go, let's go. So uh, we're back and we're back with Simran. So welcome back, Simran. Thank you. Okay, so we would, if you have not, I'm not going to give you a recap because you should have listened. <laughs> so if you've not, <laughs> rewind and listen to the start because it was amazing talking to Simran and her story. So you were kind of, we kind of left to the point where you were talking about your diagnosis and you were saying that afterwards you were kind of having those thoughts of, you know, whose fault is this? Why did no one pick it up? So tell us a bit about that and kind of how you overcame that. Yeah, um, it was hard. But I feel like I realized I could, you know, say, oh, like there was this teacher and that teacher or like, why? Like, why not? But at the end of the day, you know, I it was hard going through Mm. life the way I did, not knowing in school and failing. And just like I would bring home like 40 percent, 51 percent, 30 percent, like literally every other week. And that was disheartening. But I feel like the path that I'm on right now with you know, the abstract genius and everything else that I'm doing in life, it, I don't think it would have happened any other way. So I can't really, I can't really be mad because I have this like fire in me to just like help people and just get more awareness out there and like really look at what are the issues and the barriers that are getting in the way of other young folks like me so that maybe there could be less of people that grew up the way that I did in in the education system. So 
I am not mad actually anymore. I'm good. <laughs> good. It's it's nice when you come to that point and you kind of you're using what kind of you're using that energy, but that you like you said that passion to push yeah. you forward and help other people, yeah. which is I mean mm-hmm. is is incredible. Thank you. So how are you kind of when it comes to after your diagnosis and all that, how, so you said that like before your parents are super supportive and things like that. Did that carry on afterwards? Oh yeah. Like 100%. My parents were just like, Oh, so I guess you were right. Like (laughs) that, that makes a lot of sense. And no, it's funny. They they're, they're so supportive and they're really proud of me and they like, they don't hide it from anyone. I don't hide it from anyone. Like I literally scream and shout, like I'm like, yep. I'm a dyslexic. I'm an ADHD or like, that's who I am. And I'm proud. And yeah, no, they, they're so supportive. Even when like in my culture, like I'm Mm -hmm. Punjabi, there's just like a stereotype of parents being super strict on their kids when it comes to, to grades and and to school. Yeah. My parents were never like that. They cared and they wanted me to do well in school, but they never, got mad at me for my marks they literally would throw me pizza parties if I passed like if I got oh. a 51 they <laughs> nice. literally would be like all right we're having pizza today like because they knew that I was trying yeah and my dad always used to like literally every single night he used to come to my room and he used to be like try your best and be prepared like mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you tried your best and you come home with an f we're going to be happy but if you are not trying and you come home with an f that's when we're going to be upset so they were always super supportive and my mom she was the one who always had to wipe my tears so I feel like I got a lot of my emotional intelligence from my mom because when I was like a young kid and a teenager I was very very sensitive and I was really just emotional and there was other stuff going on but and I found out now that that actually part of being super sensitive to certain things can be an ADHD thing. Yeah, it is. So yeah. that makes sense now. Like mm. anytime they would bring up my grades, even if they weren't mad, I would just start crying and they'd be yeah. like, why are you crying? And <laughs> I couldn't explain to them that I was just so upset with myself yeah. and I didn't know what was going on. So I have to thank my mom because she, it just instilled in me like empathy and I'm in, I'm in the field of uh, working with kids with autism right now and getting into the field of uh, working with uh, learning disabilities as well. So for me, I feel like a lot of that empathy and that passion and emotional intelligence, it's all from my mom because there's Aww. nobody else that would sit in my room till 3 a.m. while I was having a mental breakdown over whatever it was. So she was always there in that aspect. And my dad, he was always there because he would teach me all these lessons. And when I was a kid, it's funny, I never realized that he was teaching me things that would literally help me so much as an adult, because okay. I didn't really understand what he was teaching me when I was a kid. And he would always say to me, like, I, I would talk about Harvard. And I didn't have the dream of going to Harvard, like every other kid, because I didn't mm. think that I was allowed to have that dream. I didn't think I was smart mm. enough. But I would always just secretly like go on my computer and just look at pictures of Harvard. <laughs> And my dad would always just be like, so you can go to Harvard if you want. And I'm like, no, like I would just look at him and I'd get mad. Yeah. I'd be like, stop, like, it's not funny. And he's like, I'm not laughing. I'm serious. And I, I always thought that he was messing with me as a kid mm. because he'd always just be like, 
what's the difference between you and any other person who gets to go to a place like Harvard? And I'm like, everything. Yeah, I'm not smart enough. I'm not like those people. Like, I can't. And he said, no, that's just what you think. You can go to Harvard if you want. You can do whatever you want. Like, it's, and he would always just snap his finger and he'd be like, just like that. If you want to go to Harvard, tomorrow you'll be at Harvard. It's that simple. And as a kid, I just would get so mad. And I know this sounds super bad. But I just, I would just be like, stop, like, please, like, I didn't want to hear it because I, I didn't have that much confidence in myself. Yeah. So I was like, no, no, I don't even want to hear that. Like, it's not funny. I don't want to hear about it. Like, just stop. But the funny part is now I actually got into a program that happened that was honoring women that are in educational leadership. And I actually was accepted into the 2021 cohort. So at Harvard, yeah, he was right. Click your fingers. (laughs) He was right. And that was literally, that was his reaction. When I told him, I was like, I got into this program and I got, I got to speak. And it was a program where um, I got to share my story and speak on the abstract genius, what I'm doing with it. And then also hear other women's stories who are leaders in the field of education. And I got like the award and it's hanging on my wall. And when I told my dad that I got in, he literally, he was like, what did I tell you? And he just snapped. And he's like, just like that. I told you. And I was, I just started Brilliant. laughing. And I was like, yeah, I guess you were right. Wow. I mean, that I, I'm going to say that, wow, I'm going to give a shout out to your parents. <laughs> because yeah, my parents are amazing. It, it sounds like that. And it sounds that even though you may have not seen that when you were a child, because you, you, you may have not been able to, you, your dad saw it. Yeah, my parents definitely saw it, even though it was hard for me to see because I just I didn't show my intelligence in typical ways. I I could always speak well. I was a really good speaker and I loved giving presentations and I would always be the highest uh, achiever in presentations. I'd come home with the highest mark, but any other assignment like written assignments, it was Mm -hmm. it was a fail for me. So I feel like that was a huge part of education for me too, was being able to just like speak and give presentations, which is why I love like doing this podcast and doing yeah. conferences and stuff, because I grew up having to talk my way into and out of everything. <laughs> so like, I, I'm literally serious when I tell you, I did not read a single full entire book in high school. That was like for an English class, like, you know, novels, novel yeah, studies. Yeah. I did not finish or go through an entire book. Sorry, mom. But um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mom. She's disclosing it now. I, and it wasn't that I didn't care that I was just like, yeah. oh, I don't want to do it. I literally couldn't, couldn't get through the book. I couldn't get through it. And so when it would come time for like the discussions or the presentations on the novel, I would literally make it up and I would go and I would present. And I actually got A's because I was able to speak about it without... Yeah. And I had to do that because I just I just couldn't read to the level that everyone else could because sure I could say the words that were on the page but I was never able to understand it properly and it's mm. like I always described it like it was a tornado in my brain yeah like the words were just you know and I feel like that's a big reason why I didn't get diagnosed early because people like I I guess I didn't fit the stereotype of what people thought dyslexia was. 
on what ADHD was. I wasn't bouncing off walls and I, the words were not moving around. And sure, for some people, it looks like that, but not for everyone. Like for yeah. me, the words I realize now, sometimes they're flipped inverted or numbers are flipped and inverted, but they don't move in front of my eyes. So I don't actually see them jumping around the page. But when I read or when I'm doing math, which explains why I did so bad in math, literally I'll write a phone number down or I will like be doing like some sort of like equation or something. And I'll literally just write all the numbers wrong, like, yeah. like just in random places. So it, I think it kind of makes sense because I didn't look like the typical person that people see in the movies, what, you know, a neurodiverse person looks like. So I, I think that's why it took so long. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It, it, It's not, it's not, it's that person that gets the B's and D's mixed around and Mm -hmm. the person where the, where you, where they're in a class and all the the letters move around and then, you know, it's the boy that gets up. Yeah, I can relate a lot to that with myself and with many people. So uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to kind of not to get that diagnosis because of a stereotype, right? Yeah. Like, how is it for you? Do you ever find that like, can you sit for long periods of time or do are you like super jittery or bouncy? Well, I've got, I have the H, but, uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I am, but I, I hit it. I hit it very, I was very, I had Masking. a toilet. Well, I had a toilet pass that got me out of class for, oh for a gosh. stomach disorder. So I, I was very lucky that saved me. I used to just I, walk around yeah. the school. <laughs> I used to do that too. I literally used to do that. And even in uni- well, in the university, you don't need to ask. Yeah. But I would always get up. Like I, my heart, it was funny because before I knew what it was, I was like, what? Like, is this like, why am I, like my heart would race and then yeah. I, like my palms would get sweaty. Yeah, the same. Yeah. And my legs would just shake, shake, shake. Shake, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> lit, right. And, it, and I, I was just like, oh my God. Like, I, and I just felt like, I just felt like I was going to have a heart attack if I didn't get up right now. And so all the time in university, luckily, because you don't have to ask the prof, you're like an adult. So I would just get up and I would just go um, multiple times throughout the class and leave. And some professors would just like look at me and be like, why? Like, what? Why does she keep leaving my class? And others like didn't really care. But, you know, I would I would do that often. Yeah, you got to do do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do to get through yeah so you talked you talked a little bit and I want to get to this because I want to give you enough time to talk about your amazing project that you're doing right now the organization you do so you talked a bit about in the first half about kind of using that passion and that thing for what you want to do which is the abstract genius so tell us about that tell us about how that started I would love to hear that okay so after my diagnosis after the missing puzzle piece was put in, I was like, okay, well, I feel like I feel invincible now. Like I was like on top of my game. I just felt like so powerful. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And I, I decided I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get a PhD. I'm going to get a master's. I'm going to wow. do this, this, and that. So I just wrote down all these things and I'm like, I'm going to start an organization. I'm going to start something that helps people like me. And I literally have like a, a notebook of all the ideas and I'm slowly just lifting it off the ground. But basically I, I focus on just all ages, all genders, but a big part of it is just helping them realize that they're not alone and that they have 
areas that they can succeed in and that there's always something that they can do. And, and I, and it's also about making other people realize that and making other people be aware because we're living in a world that wasn't designed for us. Yes. And it's hard because people like adults struggle at workplaces because there's certain things that they feel like they're not able to do or understand because they weren't trained and then they don't want to ask or talk about it because they don't want to seem incompetent uh, or there's kids struggling in school like I did so I I just feel like there needs to be a community and I feel like I want people to have a place to go and a community to share their joys with and also their struggles with and get help as well um, and just build like this huge this huge movement so there's different things that are going on but right now um I'm trying to build um an inclusive education program for schools um and I'm trying to get like a reading and writing club so that I could maybe help young kids fall in love with reading and writing like I'm in love with it now I used to hate it I used to run away from it now my bookshelf is overflowing with books (laughs) and even though it takes me a couple months to read the books like I still love it I just love learning about it um and it's funny because like my my little cousin she loves to read and she'll always try and be like okay like read this and read this and I'll be like okay and I'll take some books from her and she'll always text me and be like so like how many pages have you read and it'll have been like two weeks I'm like I've read three pages so (laughs) you know that's my update right now so I feel like I've learned how to accept that I'm not gonna be able to read fast I'm not gonna be able to understand it I might have to literally drop it and come back to it five months later but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy reading that doesn't mean I can't learn and I can't pick up a book yeah so and with writing I love writing and I've written so many essays and and things like that that are so amazing and powerful and I I want to help kids get to that point Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to to get them to like realize what their strengths are and realize that just because they can't reader spell or write well it doesn't mean that it, they just can't do the thing itself it just has to be adapted that's all I just want to say that's I mean oh, there's a few things I mean everything you said there is just I was just nodding my hello I can nod in dogs and just head in so much but you, the the thing about there was two things but the, the thing about accepting yourself kind of you, it's not that you can't do it it's just that you've either got mm-hmm. to do it in a different way or it's just going to take longer and I just yeah, love that you've given exactly. yourself kind of that permission to be like, yeah, I read three pages, but oh, well, I did it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's hard because I think for kids, it's instilled in them through sometimes yeah. teachers, unfortunately. Yeah, it is, yeah. I remember my grade 12 English teacher completely shattered my spirit because I... I was so determined to just do well. And it was grade 12, grade 12 English matters to get into university. And I went up to her to get help for some like writing assignment in the middle of class. And she, she was the worst. I don't want to be rude, but she was the worst. And it like, she looked at my paper and she just goes like, Oh, you know, with writing like this, you're not going to be able to get into university or go on. You know that, right? And I was like, I came up here to get help. I came to ask you a question. And it just, it makes me, 
just think about how many more kids are hearing things like that from their teachers when teachers are supposed to be the ones that are it's literally their job to teach it's not their job to teach one way or their way or the highway it's supposed to be whatever way the child is able to learn and that's why I love my profs so much at my university because they literally it's not a question of like can you do it or can you not do it? It's how can mm-hmm. we teach it to you in a way that you will be able to do it and will be able to understand. Yeah, like they, yeah. They're just, I can't even talk about them enough. Like they just reignited <laughs> my passion for learning. Like, honestly, yeah. Another shout out to them, eh? Woohoo! Another shout out to them. <laughs> they're amazing. I like that, that what you said and that relates back to what, I, what I, my other point that I've written down because if not, I would have forgot it. So yeah. about the that you're not just, you know, targeting people that have neurodiversity. You're also going for people that that are around them because it isn't because we can have a community in ourselves, but if the people around us don't support that and don't have that say, then it's even harder. And I think that that's amazing that you're going for the te- that you want to help the teachers and the people around to really get that awareness right so that, you know, it mm-hmm. can enable people. Yeah. No, for sure. It's school is a long time. It's a long time for someone to Mm. be on that same path. And if we don't start making changes now, we're going to let down an entire generation of brilliant, brilliant minds that should be out there working, learning, teaching, exploring, discovering it. It's actually honestly sad for the rest of the world if they won't get to see these amazing minds at work and some of the most gifted thinkers in the world were neurodiverse yep so what does that say I think people need to realize that so yeah they need to wake up right uh so Mm -hmm. what's next for you and the abstract genius well I'm enjoying my time speaking I I just spoke at a conference for the Dyslexia Institute UK and I'm just working on interacting with people in the community and what's next for me is to hopefully be able to go into um, the schools and just have a conversation with the kids and impact them and show them that it's it's not just this paper that doesn't define you your grades don't define you it's not the end of the world if you fail failure is a good thing I don't know why people think it's not I mean if people didn't fail, stories would be boring and no one wants to listen to a boring story. No one wants to listen to a perfect story. So it's okay. Like I always try and tell like these, I I had kids that I used to teach English to just last year after my diagnosis, I became an English tutor. Wow, look at that. A fun fun adventure. And there was a bunch of kids who were struggling and they were like, oh, like this is so hard. Like it's so, it's so much easier than it is for other kids. And I was like, yeah, like I get that. I, I have to try three times as hard as my peers to do the same level of work that they're doing. Yeah. But I told them, I'm like, just pretend that you're writing a chapter in your own book. And one day when you're a big kid, you're going to grow up and you're going to give these this book to people and they're going to hear your story. Are they going to want to listen to someone who had the perfect story? No, no failures, no struggle, nothing to laugh about. Just like everything was great from beginning to end. Nobody's going to sit and listen to that book. But if you tell them that you struggled and you had a hard time and like, this is what happened and you joke about it, they're going to listen and you're going to inspire more people than you can imagine. 
So I always just try and tell kids that. And I think it's important that they know that failure isn't a bad thing. And that's what you're doing. You're using your story on here. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't meant to happen. That just came. You're using you. your story on here to inspire others. And it's not a perfect story. And I agree with you. I, what is perfect? Hey, perfect. Mm-hmm, if perfect yeah. was a thing, then uh, I don't really want to meet it. <laughs> it's you're yeah. using your story on here to inspire others. Thank you. That's the hope. I hope so. If even one person listens to this and feels like they can go after what they want, then I'd be just so happy. Wow. Uh, sorry, that's sorry. I'm I'm amazed because that's that's why I started this podcast. That's why I started this. If there's, Aww. I always said that I don't care about the rate. If one person listens yeah. to it and it helps, and that's all I ever want. Exactly. The butterfly yeah. effect. One person could lead yeah. to so many more. Yeah. Like it's endless. Yeah. So as we're kind of wrapping up here, is there anything you kind of, any last words that you kind of want to leave us with or any last thoughts to kind of end your story? Yes. I, I just want to tell people, I just want to tell people who are neurodiverse that I know it's hard because the doors aren't always going to open for us as easily as they open for people whose brains are not like ours, but You just have to keep going as cliche as that sounds. And as many people keep saying that, like, oh, you just have to keep going. You really do. Because I've had to literally bust through so many doors, like literally kick them down, knock, annoy people. Hello, hello. let me (laughs) in. Like, you just have to, you have to do that because our doors are not automatic. They're literally made of concrete. You have to take a sledgehammer and you just got to go to town. It's not going to be easy, but... I promise you, you can just just stay there and come up with different ways you can take that door down. What's on the other side, it's going to be the greatest thing ever in your entire life. So don't don't just give up if one door is closed. Go to another one. Go to a different one. If that one's closed, knock on it. If that one's closed, take a sledgehammer, break it open. It's all good. Like there's no shame in trying again. Like I've failed and had to try again and just had to like do anything like to get into university I wasn't going to make it in with my grades I had to go meet with I would call the head of the program every week same time every week during my lunch break at school hey have you had a chance to look at my application hey like what do you think what else should I do should I you know do you should I do more of this and I would go and meet her and I'd give her letters and I'd show her my volunteering and she decided to give me a chance that's why I'm here And she's also one of my profs that I was talking about. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of people are going to say no, but there's going to be that one person that says, yes, you just have to keep going. Wow. But don't actually get a slab. (laughs) Don't actually get a sledgehammer. But I like that. Yeah, I love that. Keep going and keep crashing, pushing till you get that door that opens. Mm-hmm. wow I mean that was yeah incredible and thank you for that that's uh I know that, that I will remember that so thank you so do you have any any last words well I think I'll end it with a quote from one of my favorite people in the entire world Stephen Hawking oh. says remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet 
Try and make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. And however difficult life may seem, there's always something you can do to succeed at. It matters that you don't just give up. Where there is light, there is hope. Seize the moment, act now, be brave, be determined, overcome the odds, it can be done. Yeah, and you, and you truly are one of those people that proves that it can be done. Thank you. You're so kind. No, it's true. I don't, I don't say it lightly. I never will say things lightly. I, I mean that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simran. I have really enjoyed speaking with you and meeting you and connecting with you. Me and- too. And thank you for everyone who just stayed. I know that was a long time of me talking. I'm very chatty, but thank you for listening to my story. And even if you listen to it in three minutes every day, you do it. You listen in your own <laughs> exactly. way, right? <laughs> you do it how you want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks, Simran. And it was such a pleasure. And so we leave again with another inspirational diary and someone that I know I can and you might be able to relate to in many ways. And I just want to say that if you have a story and you want to share it with others, it can really make a difference in that one person's life. Just how Simran said, and just how I say it, that one person's life. And it can actually make a difference in your life, getting it out of that brain and getting it out. And look out for next week as we'll launch another episode of series three, the world through our eyes. So that's it. We're done. And if you're having a hard week, as Simran said, keep crashing through those doors because there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's one door that will open. So we'll sign in out and we'll see you again soon. And we're out. Dear Diary. Dear Diary. Dear Diary. Today is ending. I'll check in again tomorrow. Tomorrow is a brand new beginning. Good night, sweet dreams. I think tomorrow will be... Shh.